We are very excited that you're here this morning, and you did come on a great day. Yeah, normally, the time between Christmas and New Year, we as a church have kind of looked back and celebrated what the Lord has done. We're excited that you're here to visit this morning because Andy uh, Reese is here. And I've not seen this yet. I was going to go look at it online, but I didn't want to ruin it for myself. So I've heard nothing but good about what we're about to see here. Uh, I, I, when I talked about Christmas, I mentioned the Magi and the possibility that they would have been from the same people that Daniel and the, the prophet was from. And someone came up afterwards, Brian McRae, and said, oh my gosh, you've got to see what this guy Andy's doing. So without further ado, let's see what this guy Andy's doing. Okay, are we on? Good. Is the sound on here? Yes. Huh. Now, one last check. Okay, this is awesome, and there's even water. Thank you so much. I feel, have you ever been to a restaurant, and um, the waiter comes out, and he, he just brings this dish, and it's, it's just the most amazing food you've ever had. And you go to the waiter, man, that was awesome. Now, the waiter's taking credit for something the chef actually did, and the owner of the restaurant actually did. See, I get to serve up a doozy of a story, but I really can't take much credit for the story but I can serve it up the best I can. And, and that's, that's my goal today. Um, so I want you to come along with me. It's going to be kind of a fun story. Um, it's a story about immense majesty and attempted deicide and secret night visitors. If you made this into a movie, people would go, it can't be true. There's this too much going on. There's this centuries-old contest, like a chess game, like a computer game, between God and his evil opponent like there was any doubt about it. And the, the amazing thing to me is that I think it's a true story. Now, you're going to get a lot of debate about whether that's a true story. Um, and for a good reason. And that reason I like to call meta-knowledge. Meta-knowledge is what do you know about what you think you know? And if this story isn't true, should I move back and forth so you can see the screen a little bit? What is that? Okay. If it isn't true, then what else isn't true? I mean, honestly, if it's just a myth, then what else? But if this story is true, then well, well, well. Because this, this billboard was at the head of the Lincoln Tunnel in 2010, on the Jersey side, okay? So you know it's from that side. of the, But it was at the head of the Lincoln Tunnel. Why would atheists spend all this money to convince us that the story isn't true? Because if the story is true, then there is another reality. There is, a, there is something else we, we don't necessarily perceive, but it's there and it's real. Um, you are probably not concerned that you are at this minute, right now, sitting in this church, stuck upside down, spinning at a thousand miles per hour on a thin crust over molten rock, spiraling 65,000 miles per hour around a 900-kilometer thermonuclear explosion, and spiraling 500,000 miles per hour down a black hole. None of that really bothers us. It doesn't really impact us. It's, a, it's real. It's a real physical reality, but honestly... Today I'm going to ask you to think about this story and what it means if it's real, if it's a real story. There's lots of ideas out there. I'm kind of um, deeply superficial about a lot of things. Um, 
so I'm, I'm kind of a, uh, I'm kind of a Ivy League science guy and kind of a Bible guy. And I get a hold of something and I think, oh, I need to study that. You know, one of those people where your wife goes, honey, I'm going out, you know, I'm that guy, okay? And so about 20 years ago, I started looking at this and I said, none of these stories make sense. I'm a real friend. I ask really good questions. And none of these stories made sense. There, there was always some hole where you just went, no, that can't happen. And so, duh, like a thousand people haven't already thought about doing this. I said, I bet I can figure this. It's like, what kind of knucklehead are you? Um, I'm a knucklehead who tries to figure stuff out. And so, um, if you can't come up with a good solution, then there's always aliens. I mean, aliens is like, everybody's fallback, invoke aliens, and everybody goes, eh. But I'm going to ask you to do something with me today. I want you to be CSI Bethlehem, okay? And we're going to ask some questions, and then I'm going to tell you a story about the answer to those questions, okay? So I want you to put on your thinking hats today and go, okay, I'll play along with this, guys. And what, I'm, what I need to say at the beginning, because this is recorded and it'll probably go on YouTube at some point, is that none of us were there. So the only way that we can tell if something's true or not is to ask hard questions about it. Now, when the police ask a witness, what, a, what a, a policeman told me is, there are two ways that we know if they're telling the truth. One is, is if we can independently verify the facts. That is, they say something and you can figure it out. But the other way is that they tell you something that has significance far beyond what they would have known. In other words, yeah, the guy had a tattoo on his left shoulder that looked like a skeleton. And you go, okay, he's part of the crypts. You know, and so, so all of a sudden you go, okay, I mean, he's either really good actor or this is really true. We're going to follow a trail of breadcrumbs, and that trail of breadcrumbs is going to be scripture because every time I looked at things, I went back to scripture and went, oh. So here we go. Ready? Now, this is going to be the hardest part, especially for your eyes. Yep. I thought. <laughs> okay. So if we look at that, we say, okay, now Jesus is born in Bethlehem, Judea, and in those days, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east. We've come to worship him. Okay, now if you're a forensics guy, that, you're going to go, huh. Okay, so number one, why were these guys from the east interested in a Jewish king? A. B, when it says it rose in the east, what does that mean? Something, something rose in the east. See, we go... They followed the star. They didn't follow the star. It rose in the east, and then they traveled to Jerusalem. Why? Because they thought a king had been born, specifically a Jewish king had been born. So they went to Jerusalem to check on the party. Surely there is an immense party because a Jewish king had been born. And they went to worship him. You don't go worship a king. Now, Nero demanded worship. Herod, in some ways, demanded. But if you're a Persian magi, a Mede, you don't go worship another king unless you think something about that king that's worthy of worship. Okay, let's keep going. Um, Herod secretly called them together and he said, when exactly did this happen? And then he said, now it happened in Bethlehem. That's what it, so you go to Bethlehem. So they didn't follow the start of Bethlehem. They got sent to Bethlehem from Jerusalem. So they're on their way to Bethlehem. So Herod met secretly with them, out of sight. Now, Jerusalem was like the Kardashians, okay? And Herod was like 
the, the worst of the Kardashians. Okay, so, so everything Herod did was in public, everything. And so he had to find a way to meet secretly with them. And he said, um, when did the star appear? Now ask yourself, if I had to say to you, now, when did XYZ happen? That means I didn't notice it, right? When did the star appear? And they go, huh, and he goes, huh, none of us saw it. But see, they're like two time zones away from where the Magi were, so the same sky was there. They saw the exact same thing. And so it wasn't explosions, it wasn't a meteor flaming, it wasn't a comet that everybody went, ooh, all of those things would have been written down. The sky was like the internet back then. And hundreds of people wrote down everything they saw. Even the Jews wrote down everything they saw. Okay? Herod had to ask. So, after hearing that it was in Bethlehem, and now an angel had already said, he's going to kill the child, you need to get out. Okay? Had occurred to him in a dream. So, they went their way. They leave Herod. They're walking to Bethlehem. And look what happens. The star, which they had seen in the east. So the exact thing they saw in the east, they now see as they're walking to Bethlehem. The exact thing. And it looks, it says, um, it went on before them, it came and stood over the place where the child was, and when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, like the triple conjunction of joy. So, so they're walking, and then they go, huh, it's the thing we saw in the east. And it, it goes before them, so they're probably walking four or five hours from wherever they were to Bethlehem. And during that time period, the star appears and it settles down over the place where the child is. Okay? Are you with me so far? This has like changed everything about the star for you already, hasn't it? It's like, oh, star of wonder, star of right. And then um, finally, um, oh, and it says, they come in and they see the child with Mary. Now, why does scripture give us that breadcrumb? They see the child with Mary. Okay, if you walk into a house and there is probably 30 houses with kids, two and under, and you go, okay, I don't see anything that I saw in the major scene. There's no halos, there's no cherubs, there's no talking donkeys. I mean, how do I know this is the kid? It could be another kid. Okay, and so there's something about Mary. So, then, while it was still night, and they fall on their faces and they worship, an angel appears to Joseph and said, in a dream and says, you need to get out too. So, while it was still night, they take off. Now, there are no street lights. There are no street signs. There's no superhighways. There is just pitch dark. And they're both, the Magi are going this way, and, or the way you're looking, the Magi are going this way, and Mary and Joseph are going this way, and it's the middle of the night, and they're waking up, and they're on their way. And Herod gets totally enraged, and he says, kill every child in the Bethlehem area who's two years old and younger, which means our timing had to have been at more than a year, right? Because Herod, so it, it, we have a time frame we have to do. Okay, with me? Okay, okay, here we go. But first, I need to set you up to understand how big things are.
this has been called the most important picture ever taken. This was taken in 1995 by a guy who used his $100,000 10 hours of Hubble time to point at a space in the sky no bigger than a grain of sand held at the end of your fingertip. He pointed for 10 hours so he could collect enough, enough light, enough protons, to see what was there. He expected to see nothing. This is what he saw. 3,000 galaxies. Every one of those smudges is a galaxy. They extrapolated and said there are 300 sextillion stars based on this. I mean, that's a crazy, crazy big number. 150 billion light years across. 400 trillion stars for every person that has ever or will ever live. 400 trillion stars. And God said, I'm the Lord. I stretched all this out. Poof. I said, light be, and light was. If we, um, if an alien pointed their own Hubble at us, we would be one of those smudges. And our galaxy would look like this, one of 126 billion galaxies in the universe. It would look something like that. Of course, none of us got that far away to look at that. We haven't even really gotten, well, we got to Pluto now, so we're, we're on our way out. There are supposedly now, at, at last count, 11 billion Goldilocks planets. That's planets that could probably support life. 11 billion, just in our galaxy, one of 125 billion galaxies. Our galaxy is about 100 light years across, and when you ask, what does that mean? If you traveled at the speed of light, 186,000 miles a second, it would take 4,000 generations to just cross our galaxy. 4,000 generations. And we're here. We're right there. We're sort of just off 840. <laughs> kind of a country spot. Nice, you know. Might be developing. Not sure if there's intelligent life around us or not. But that's us. We're, we're in kind of an ohum outer spiral arm of this galaxy that we live in. We're just a, a, we're just, I mean, our galaxy is no bigger than a grain of sand to the earth compared to the universe. And our solar system is no bigger than a grain of sand to our galaxy. Everything's like 10 to the 11th power when we go up in size. We look edge on into our galaxy. So have you ever gone out on a dark night, which means you've got to be out here and not in Franklin or somewhere else, and we're looking edge on into that thing. Okay, so let's, let's change it. Let's make ourselves stand sideways on the Earth. And so now we're looking onto our galaxy along the, the plane of the galaxy itself. So you're looking into the center of the galaxy. That is what Abraham saw when God said to Abraham, count the stars if you're able. So, and he said, that's how many your descendants will be. And so if Abraham had counted the stars, one per second would take him 12,000 years. Just to count the stars. One per second. I mean, God's like, he's making a point. <laughs> he's just like, have you thought about how big I might be? Have you, thought, have you looked into the heavens lately? Have you looked up and went, oh my God. 
If we needed to borrow sugar from our nearest star neighbor, that would be Alpha Centauri. I mean, proximate, proximate, close in, proximate Centauri, 4.3 light years away. How many of you have driven 100 miles an hour? Go ahead, kids. Yeah, yeah, come on. Dads, close your eyes. Okay. If you drove 100 miles an hour, it would take you 29 million years to get to the closest star. <laughs> Just go, <gasps> okay, this is, this is, yeah, it's great. I mean, this is too big. It's, it's, like, it's like David said, this is too big for me. This is, this is way too big for me. Well, there's actually a closer star. It's this one. It's our personal little star. If you were going to pay the light bill on that star, let's just say for one second, okay? One second light bill. You think everybody in this church could afford it? Not even close. One second is five million times last year's GDP for the whole USA. I mean, to tell you, this thermonuclear deal, if we could harness even a trillionth of the solar power, we'd be cooking. I mean, we, yeah. We'd be, and this is us. We're, we're, you see that little? The size is right, but the distance isn't. We're actually a football field that way at this scale, okay? But that's how big, we're, we're, we're like a, a speck on a dot, on a smudge, on a molecule, on a dust particle next to the door. I mean, that, that is how big we really are. In fact, um, the Library of Congress has um, 875 miles of bookshelves. And the size of the earth to that would be a period on the end of one of the sentences in one of the books. We are insignificant. It's like, I'm not trying to make you feel insignificant. You are insignificant. We are small. We're, we're just tiny, teeny, tiny. And be, now, and that's just the universe. So let's go beyond to the universe and beyond to infinity and beyond. There's nothing. There's not even up or down. It's like you go out there and there is no, there's no time. There's no, everything else was created. There's just God, maybe angels, or just God, only God. No up or down. And look at this. Who is like our God who humbles himself to behold the universe? Have you ever walked into Starbucks and you're like paying and you see a penny and your kids want to get you? Oh, no, don't, it's dirty, you know? See, that penny is like less to us than the size of the universe is to God. He has to humble himself. He has to stoop down and go, oh, cute little earth, you know, cute little universe. See, when if the whole thing was just a knick-knack on his desk? I mean, when if the universe is just one of those snow cones? Yeah, it's like, don't, don't mess with that. I'm going to shake it one day, but not this day. God has two purposes for the heavens. The first one is to show his glory, and that's what I'm trying to convey to you first off, is that he wants us to look up and go, oh, man. He wants us to look at the patterns in the head. He wants us to be impressed by the heavens. Scripture says, um, <clears throat> anything you need to know about God's immensity, his majesty, you can know about it by walking outside and looking at the heavens. The other thing he wants us to do is to tell his story. <clears throat> God in Genesis said, let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and for years. The first two, two words are, are really weird Hebrew words. So what is a sign? So a sign points to a greater reality, right? So there's a sign, a new sign, 
out here it says Conduit Church, and the sign isn't Conduit Church. The building isn't even Conduit. Your Conduit Church. And man, you make it feel like a living room. I feel very comfortable here. Thank you. But the other word there is weird. It says, it's the word epochs, and it means the changing of God's administration. In other words, he's going to do things in the heaven that says, I'm changing things now. Okay? It, it means that, and then it means setting up the, the festivals, the, the, the Hebrew festivals, the Jewish festivals. So, it, so God, and it says, look, I'm going to do this again. Now, how many of you are ready for the signs of his second coming? You know what they are, you're kind of looking for, and you're, see, some of us are, some of us are going, is that even a thing? I mean, huh. But Jesus said, look, see, the first time there was like some pagans, a frightened and faithful young woman, some shepherds who were wondering what they'd been drinking, probably, and uh, Anna and Simeon. I mean, that was kind of it. He just, he didn't do a big announcement. I, he probably will this next time. Satan has two counterfeit purposes for the heavens. The first one, and this is the reality I want us to get. The first one is to steal his glory. See, science will tell you that it's just a big bang. There is no God. Everything is just natural laws, natural, and you are foolish if you think anything else. And so we, who are mostly intimidated by science, go, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I better not, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to back off all this miracle stuff. And when I start backing off the miracle stuff, I start backing off the God stuff. And I start wondering if there actually is, I mean, if it's not true. See, it's just diabolical. But the other thing he does is to say that the heavens tell your story, your horoscope. See, so there's two ditches. One is, there is no God, there's just science. The other one is, I'm God. This is about me. This is my horoscope. That's what the kings back then did. And so... You've got these two ditches that are absolutely Satan's counterplan to what God has to say. Um, so here's, here's kind of what we think. God named the stars. Josephus says, I shouldn't be right in front of that, that uh, Seth and Enoch, well, Seth and then two Enoch, worked out the names and the patterns of the stars. Just before the flood, they put two giant stone pillars up, one made of brick and one made of stone so it would survive flood or fire. They didn't know which one was coming. They just knew something bad was coming. Abraham was a Chaldean. He was a Babylonian. And when he went to Egypt, Josephus says, the thing that led Abraham to God was looking at the heavens and going, there can only be one God. The Babylonians are wrong. And when he went to Egypt, Josephus says, who was making some other points, and we don't know if it's true, but he says, Abraham taught the Egyptians all about star lore, all about the names of the stars. Then an interesting thing happened. Have you ever played a game of, of telephone? You, you, and it goes around. Well, th see, that's what happened with the stars, right? So there's this weird game of telephone where one culture told another culture told another culture. They added stories. God didn't name anything Hercules, okay? Just sand. So, so there's, there's, there's all these funny different names. But a woman back in 1885 did a study and found every culture has the same names for the stars and the constellations in their language, but the same meaning, the same intent. Different animal names, totally, but the same names for the stars and the constellations. God says, I name the stars, and they tell my story, not your story. Pay attention. <laughs> Pay attention. I want to show you just one, just one of the ways it got warped, because this one, I think, is really cool. So here's some Virgo. A virgin shall conceive and bear a child. Okay, here's Virgo. She ended up right there, and there's a big gap above her head. Uh, right there. 
And so <clears throat> back in the third century BC, uh, Bernice, or Berenice, was worried that her husband wouldn't come back from war, and she decided to take her Breck lady hair and cut it off and hang it up in the temple of Venus. Well, her hair was ripped off. Somebody stole her amazing hair, and Conan, not the late night talk show host, not the barbarian, not the librarian, I guess if you guys know that movie. So, but Conan, the astronomer, astronomer, astrologer said, Jupiter took your hair, my lady. And he, and he put it into the heavens, and there it is. It's right next to Virgo. Coma Berenice's, coma is hair, the hair of Bernice. Bernice's hair. I mean, huh? Right? Unless you're a hairdresser. This is like the patron constellation. But there's still a gap, two big stars. And so in 1687, this guy created the hunting dogs. So he said, yeah, we're calling that constellation the hunting dogs. And so that's what we have. That's the story we have. The hair of Bernice and the hunting dogs. Now, the rest of the story. There is a different story here. <clears throat> Arabians, Persians, and Chaldeans said, that is not at all what it is. What it actually is, and has been from time immemorial, is a young woman whose name means virgin, sitting on a throne, check this out, holding a child called Hisu. Ha! In fact, this is a 3,000-year-old <clears throat> Egyptian picture of the constellations, and they called it the desired sun. Now, if I were Satan and I wanted to obscure just one constellation, that would be the one. Because, my gosh, from the dawn of time, there's a desired sun born of a virgin written in the heavens. It works like this. We're about to jump into the story. Everything spins around. We'll, we're looking, we'll say, top down. There is no top. And so if we look on from the side, everything goes along what's called the ecliptic, the plane of the planets. And so <clears throat> you can see then the constellations. And the ones that run right along the ecliptic are called the zodiac. Okay, there's all kinds of constellations, top and bottom. But the ones that run right along the ecliptic are called the zodiac. So if we float behind the Earth as it's spinning, you can see it's spinning like this, and it's going around the sun. So it spins 365 point something times each time it goes around the sun. So day and night, it gets to see the sun and a snapshot of the sky behind it. Then the next day, it's a little bit further along, and it sees the sun and the snapshot of that sky. So every night we get a snapshot of the heavens, and in a year, we're back to where we started from, okay? So here we are just looking right at the edge, and so this is what it looks like if you stay up at night and watch it. Not this fast, of course, but... And so what is happening is the sun isn't rising, but we are spinning around until we see the sun. Okay, so we're, we're the ones... Everything's moving, okay? Everything's relative except truth. Okay, so here we go. Let me just do a couple of quick conclusions and we're going to jump into the story. God created and arranged the heavens. He named the stars and they tell his story, not our story. Science, apart from belief in God, can come up with physical law conclusions, but they can't come up with truth. Astrology can come up with all kinds of stuff. There seems to be, and I'm not going to go in here, there seems to be enough evidence 
that there is a story in the constellations and God is not afraid to say the word zodiac. He's just afraid we'll misinterpret what he put up there. That's what he's afraid of. He's not afraid for us to understand the stars. Christians have written books that so exaggerate what we think we know that most scientists have gone, oh. So, and so we're kind of stuck. It's like, oh, you guys, just say what we know. We know plenty. Um, the science point to a greater reality and God's intent is for us to look up. Okay, with that all, now let's go to the story. and Jupiter went into a they go into conjunction a lot but they went into such a close conjunction they look like a star the brightest star in the sky the brightest thing in the sky except for the moon and the sun Okay, Venus and Jupiter uh, Venus um, and it was in Leo, the constellation Leo the Lion because the Jews were scattered everywhere and the Jews were tied to the Zodiac Judah was tied to Leo, Leo the lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah, okay? That's, Jesus didn't just make that up. That, that is from the constellations. It's from the zodiac. Jews are scattered all over Persia. There's something like 1.2 million Jews scattered all over Persia from being carried off. Venus is called the morning star. Remember Jesus said, I am the bright and morning star. That's who he's saying, I am Venus. Heads up. I'm Venus. I'm not afraid to say that. Um, Jupiter is the king star, sometimes called the little king. And there are some people out there gazing. Now, who are these guys? Who are these magi? Well, if you think Jedi, you're not, and this is really timely. <laughs> if you think Jedi, you're not far from the truth. There were these mystical kind of guys. They were Medes. So Medes are not Persians. They were not Babylonians. They were another tribe. Mathematicians, astronomers, astrologers was all one course back then, and that's who they were. Um, they were mystical advisors to kings. Every king wanted a star that did something on the day they were born. And they obliged. It was a good way to make money, okay? So they obliged. They were Zoroastrians. Remember at the very beginning, I said an Afghan camel herder came out of the mountains, came out of the hills, and he had seen something? Zoroaster. Zoroaster said, I have seen an angel. That's the picture he drew. I have seen an angel, a being. He didn't call it angel. A being. And it said to me a number of things. One is, there will be um, a savior born of a virgin that nobody knows when Zoroaster lived. Maybe a thousand there will be a savior born of a virgin who will change the course of the world and usher in a new age. Until then, think good thoughts, speak good words, do good deeds, and watch the heavens. Okay, that was Zoroaster. Now, Zoroasterism has changed pretty radically now. The Yazikis, some of you remember the Yazikis who were trapped on the mountain and ISIS was attacking them. They're probably descendants 
of this, um, of, of the Zoroastrians, their religion is close. And by the way, um, there's DVDs back there and books back there and all prophets um, go to us building a school for the Ezekis right in the face of ISIS. We, the, we're, we're, we're only 15,000 short of building that school. So there's a group that's building it. My wife, raise your hand, honey. Oh, sorry. <laughs> She's right in the, she can tell you more about it. But, but we thought, what better than to just go, bam, right back in after the Kurds drove them out and built a school. Okay, there is our asterisk. They knew of Daniel and Jewish prophecy. Why? Because Daniel was a Babylonian. He, he was carried off by Nebuchadnezzar. He, he's interpreting dreams and blah, blah, blah. The Medes conquer Babylon. So now all the Magi come in. They're in Darius's court, and Daniel outdoes him. They try to kill him at first. Then that doesn't work. So then they're, Daniel's like their guy. In fact, he's called the chief Magus, the chief of the Magi. Daniel is all about the end times. And Daniel says an amazing prophecy. He says that there will be 69 weeks from the, uh, the decree to rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah. 69 weeks of years. So if you were to count from the day that Artaxerxes made that, 69 weeks of Jewish years, guess what day it, it ends on, the count? Palm Sunday. They were ready. The whole area was looking for a Messiah. They all knew that they knew this. Every, see, it wasn't like, gee, they walked out when they said, oh, a Messiah. They're going, He's, it's got to be soon. The 69 weeks are over. In fact, the Romans killed every man in one village because somebody in there said, I am that Messiah. Remember when they're going to kill Jesus and they go, well, what, what should we do? And they said, all kinds of people have said they're going to be Messiah. If he's not, nothing's going to happen, right? It was the time. That's what they were looking for. Okay, we saw his star in the east. Okay, here we go. <clears throat> what is in the east means, not, it's, it's a weird, it's a technical term. In fact, some people think this was written by some science guy. Yeah, some science guy. And what it means is we saw it in the rising. That is, it rose in the rising. It's called the helical rising, okay? That is, it's the first day you can see something just before the sun comes up. That was a very important day to astrologers and astronomers. So they saw it in the rising. That is, you can name the day they saw this because they said, we saw it when it came up and then the sun came up right after and it was gone. It was the first day we could see it. The day before that, the sun came up too soon, we couldn't see it. Day after that, is it just another day? And they said, that's when we saw it, in the helical rising. So here we are, 4.15 p.m. Uh, a.m., 3 BC, looking to the east, we're standing in Persia. So you can see Venus and Jupiter are totally lined up with Earth. That's the conjunction they saw. Okay, let's pop down right in Persia and watch the sky come up. So here we are, and there it is. Venus, Jupiter, Venus, Jupiter, rising in Leo. That's the thing that they saw exactly coming up. And then the sun comes up right after it, gets too bright to see, and it's gone. We know when that happened. It only happened that time. This conjunction, this close conjunction is once in 400 years. It conjuncts all the time, but this is like, like eight minutes of arc, uh, indistinguishable to the human eye. That, that will actually, well, I won't go there. Um, <clears throat> so a month later, 
they're watching. They're going, okay, something's up. I mean, that, okay, something's up. They're watching. A month later, Jupiter goes into, again, an amazing conjunction with Regulus, the king star in Leo, king of kings. Again, the conjunction is way closer than normal. Things work on ellipses, so they kind of, and bam, they landed right on top of each other, and they're going, okay, something's up. This uh, 9-11, yep, there's a lot of reasons to think this was Jesus' birthday. Shepherds only were in the fields at certain times of year at night, twice a year, in fact. John the Baptist uh, was born just ahead of this, six months or so, Elizabeth, that whole thing. There was a decree from Augustus that fit right in this time, but there's actually a cooler reason. This is the reason. That same day, that same day, <laughs> now what would you pay? That same day, sunset in Bethlehem, 9-11, there's a prophecy. Oop, we can almost see it. A great sign appeared in heaven. This is Revelation 12. A woman clothed in the sun, the moon under her feet, a crown of 12 stars on her head, and she gave birth. Now, when you study prophecy, Daniel's prophecy, Old Testament prophecy, New Testament prophecy, there are some things. A prophecy always refers to something that's happening sooner and something that's happening in the future, in the distant future. So Daniel would go, boom, and then it was true here, and then it was true here. So this is a picture of a birth of a child, possibly Jesus' birth, and the date is the Feast of Trumpets. And here's a woman clothed in the sun, the moon at her feet, and a crown of 12 stars over her head. This is by definition the Jewish uh, New Year, okay, the... the uh, non-religious new year but the commercial new year by definition john is saying there's a there's a birth that took place on the feast of trumpets and this takes place exactly the same day as the king of kings thing that the magi see at the other end of the sky then a weird thing happens i'm just going to let you see it so there we are there's Venus and Jupiter. Jupiter just goes along. Bam, it goes in a conjunction with Regulus. Jupiter just keeps going like normal, except for Jupiter stops. Jupiter goes backwards in the sky. Ju yep, Jupiter goes in conjunction again with Regulus. Jupiter stops. Jupiter goes forward in the sky and goes a triple. Triple conjunction is huge in astronomy. Goes forward in the sky. Now, what is that? Are you making this up? No, I'm not. Um, it's an optical illusion. It's called retrograde. And what happens is, let's say you're driving out in Kansas, and there's a farmhouse way off, and you're going on a, on a curve, and you're passing a truck. Okay, so the truck is moving in relation to that house, and it's everything, we're all moving the same direction. We're all moving the same direction. But as I pass the truck, the truck looks like it's going backwards when projected against the house way off in the distance. The truck isn't going backwards, but I'm turning so much faster, it just looks like it's going backwards. But then as we both get out further, then the truck looks like it's going forward again. Okay, so that's called retrograde. All the planets do that. They know it, they could have calculated it. But the fact is that it did it on top of Regulus right after all these signs, and there's something else that happened. Another heavenly body showed up for that one night of conjunction, the moon, for that night, that night only, that conjunction. Well, except for the third conjunction, the moon shows up again right next 
to the conjunction of regular, king of kings. The moon, if you look up the moon in, so astrology in the, in the Mead area, the Magi area, didn't get perverted. In the Greek area, as I showed you, got totally perverted. The moon means the mother. If you look up Vedic, it's called Vedic astrology. Did I say hydron? Vedic astrology. The moon. They're thinking the mother is with the king of kings. There's something about the mother. Why is the mother in the heavens? She's with the king of kings. Huh. This is what Zoroaster. Okay. They're going. They're ready to head out. They, they get on their camels and they come from somewhere over there and they come in probably the king's highway and they show up and they're probably, it's probably now mid-June. That's about when they show up. And so they go and they talk to Herod. Now Herod is, everybody's troubled. Now why is Herod troubled? Well, here's the reason he's troubled. Okay, that, this is exactly how it would have felt to Herod. Okay, because, because Herod is in the midst of a battle with the Parthians and the Parthians go back and forth. Herod is struggling with them and these guys are Parthians. In fact, they're Parthian mystics. They're there and they say, where is the king of the Jews? Now, 30 years before, Caesar goes, Herod, you're the king of the Jews. And now these magi show up looking for a party, thinking Herod's going to be happy, and they announce to all of Jerusalem, who hates Herod, because he's not really Jewish, and he's killed someone every single day. Herod is a madman. In fact, he arranged for one Jewish person in every family to be killed on his death so that there would be mourning in the whole land. I mean to tell you. He, in fact, uh, the Caesar said, it's safer to be a pig in Herod's house than one of his children. He was insane. He was about 70 at this time, and he is scared spitless because here come these Parthians saying, who's born king of the Jews? The Jews want him gone, and he's like backpedaling like crazy. And so he calls them secretly. He is now scared there's... People were assassinated all the time back then. He's scared. This is it. There's an assassination squad who knows who the, the, this may be a plot. There are all kinds of plots to kill Herod, and probably rightfully so. So um, he meets with them secretly. Now, we've got a problem. There's Jerusalem, and you can see Bethlehem. And if you're going to follow a star, the stars, all, the stars all go across like that. So you've got to follow on this screen from right to left. If you're following a star, it's, it's going to be in front of you if it's moving. But... Jerusalem to Bethlehem is north to south. So you're walking this way and the star of Bethlehem is over here and you're going, yeah, but I, I, this is not working out. If I'm going to follow that star, I'm going to be like in California. You know, and so where am I going to go? So it just doesn't work. But the interesting thing is that we need that orientation is that God gives us a clue. Herod met secretly. I was fast asleep. Two in the morning, I wake up. And in my head, I hear Herod had another palace. And being that guy, I jump up, and from two till dawn, um, I start looking, and sure enough, that palace is right there. And the road goes right along the ecliptic. It's the perfect time, the perfect orientation, and that's what it looks like. It's the Herodium, the secret palace of Herod. Herod had himself buried there because he thought no one would have the guts to dig him up. That's where he always went when he was afraid, when it was secret, when he had secret meetings. I mean, just on and on and on. The Orthodox Church in the East said that's where the Magi were housed, at the Herodium. Okay, found out later. 
So that's where they went. So um, now, now here's the cool part. This is like the end of the story, the cool end of the story. So let's look at the wording. The star they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood. And when they saw the star, they were like, wow, Melchius, Kaspar, look at that. Okay, so they're, they're crazy about the star being excited. So here's, here's what that looks like on the ground. So there they are. They're in the Herodium. They're going 5.3 miles, a couple hours. They're walking up to Bethlehem along the ecliptic, and they look up in the sky, and here is exactly what they see. I am now on that road at that exact hour. This is a simulation, but it's exactly what they see. First of all, you see a conjunction that happens once in 400 years happen again. Venus and Jupiter are totally lined up with each other, right on top of each other. The star they saw in the east, right? The one they saw in the east. But it's now in the helical setting. That is, it's the last star I see tonight before the, the first star as the sun goes down. So here's the sun going down. And there's Venus, Jupiter, Venus, Jupiter, Venus, Jupiter, right there. And it's in the heavens. It's visible for maybe an hour, hour and a half max. And it sinks right down to the horizon. Then it slips below the horizon as they're walking. Now, why do I think this? They knew they had to escape. If they tried to escape in the daytime, they'd be caught. They had to escape at night. But if they came into Bethlehem at night, they wouldn't find anybody. Everybody would be closed. Remember, in that culture, you close the door, you bar the door, and you don't open the door at night. So they got to time it to come in just at dusk, find the kid, do their thing with the gold myrrh and frankincense, and escape after dark, right? So that's the only time that they could do it. Interestingly enough, that's the only time that a star would be moving in the time frame they're looking for and hover right on the horizon. You just go, huh. And they're moving right, it's, it's like, does somebody know this? I mean, this is such an improbable plot. So they come into the house and I saw a child with Mary. Now, there is probably 30 kids in this age range. And so they go, okay, it looked like the star, I mean, but had we come 20 minutes earlier, the star would have maybe been over this house. I mean, maybe they saw the shepherds. The shepherds were actually out at this time of year too, twice, the two harvests. Maybe they saw the shepherds and said, hey, do you guys know of a, yeah, let me tell you a story. Okay, and so we're, we're not sure we can't make it up because it's not there. But what happens is, is they walk in and they saw the child with Mary, his mother. Now, what do we know about Mary? Well, she was a virgin who gave birth. They're going, check, Zoroaster told us that. Daniel told us that. They engage Mary in conversation. And have you ever read the Magnificat, what she says when, I mean, she's a prophetess. I mean, she is, she is speaking their language. She's going, you know, God this and God that and the generations. And, and they're going, okay, this is not just like Mary. This is Mary. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. And a virgin who had an angelic encounter like Zoroaster. Bam, they fall on their faces. They know for a fact that this is the child. This is the Savior. They, no doubt in their minds, they fall on their faces and worship. They know for a fact that it's this child. So, 
it says, and having been warned in a dream, they go back another way. Well, there's two ways in and out from where they came from. The other way is called Via Mars, the way of the sea. So they go back the way of the sea. Joseph got up. He was warned in a dream. Same night, it says, after they left, then an angel appeared in a dream, said, hey, you need to, you need to scoot. So they go the same night. So they go left. Magi go right. The only, one, only player left is Herod. When he saw he became tricked, he was enraged. He went to slay the children. Now he maybe slayed 20 children. So it's not like thousands. He was enraged. And like two verses later, it says when Herod died. It's like game over, no lives left. Satan, you want to play again? You want to go double or nothing? Double down on this child? See if you can kill him. Try. I mean, I, I just love how Satan still thinks he can win. He still tries to tempt the child, kill the child, as if there's a chance. There is no chance. Okay, so we got everything figured out except the two yellow things. Everything, and I'm not going to go through it, but we got the two yellow things. So this star had to seem like it stands over the place, and there's this weird, and this is the sciences I'm going to get. There's something called atmospheric refraction, which causes uh, something, a point of light on the horizon, if it's been a hot day, June or July, okay, a hot day. It causes it to, the light, to bend and make it look like it slows down and stops for about 20 minutes. Came and stood over. Atmospheric refraction, plus a psychological thing that makes us think something that's closer to the horizon is bigger than it normally is. Remember when you see the moon come up, you go, look how big the moon is. It's no bigger, but right? We think it is. And the other thing is, Jesus had to be two when all this happened. My timing is only 10 months old. Oh, bummer. Except for the fact that, sorry kids, kids back then didn't have birthdays. They didn't have birthday cakes. They didn't have, they didn't celebrate their birthdays. They, it was a bummer to be a kid back then. The, the way that they counted years back then is they didn't count your birthday because they didn't want to be astrologers. And so everybody's birthday changed on the first of Tishri. So you didn't have a birthday, but you were in a certain year. So they saw the star the previous August. September, they changed to the second year. So Jesus is what? In his second year. Right? That's how they counted things back then. So if we think in our culture, it doesn't make sense. Their culture, total sense. So we're there. So let's close up with this. To me... Isn't it amazing that God has used the sky as his palette? That it tells his ongoing story? That he wrote it forever long ago. God doesn't announce things the way we do. See, what, what you saw at the baptism today was a change of type. Someone was merely human, and now they're immortal. No pop and sizzle, no sparks flying, no shouting, no angels. God just goes, because he doesn't feel a need to show off. Maybe except in the heavens. The Magi story fits exactly. There is more evidence to make this thing exactly what it says it is 
than there is for the life of Socrates even being alive. I mean, the evidence is pretty darn, I don't know if I got the right story, but man, it's pretty darn airtight. It's pretty airtight. The other thing is, God knew everything ahead of time. Everything. Say, he knew the Magi and Zoroaster and Daniel and Herod. I mean, everything. It's like, and the star, he knew when they were going to arrive, and there's the star right there. And he loves you with the same love that he loved Jesus. So you have a story. You have a story too. Jesus is the star of this story. And this galaxy has his story in it. But there are 125 billion galaxies, and by 2040, there will be 125 billion people who've ever lived on the earth. I don't know, but eyes not seen, ears not heard, what God has stored up for us. I just bet there's a galaxy with your name on it. Just betcha. And someday, with your new body, that can fly through walls and go into outer space and live and be instantly here and there and fish and catch fish. Come on, guys. That new body, you're going to have lunch on Alpha Centauri with Jesus. And he's going to say, sit right here. Let me show you the stars. This is your story. This is your story. And you're also... You also play a part in other people's stories. See, in this story, Jesus was the key. But there are stories of everybody around you. Your son had a story. And today, amazing part of that story. But see, some of you are like Mary. You're, you're carrying something for somebody else. Some of you are like Joseph. You're writing the checks. Okay. Some of you are the donkey. Okay, I played a donkey in the Christmas pageant. Some of you are the donkey. And you're just doing what you're told, and you're just stepping in. Some of you are Annie and Simeon. Some of you are the wise men. But there are stories going on all around you that were conceived in the heart and mind of God to save someone, to help someone, to stir someone. And so be alert. Be alert for the stars around you. Be alert for the part that you play. There's something else I just love too. <clears throat> and that is this thing where... Um, David says but will God indeed dwell on earth heaven and highest heaven can't continue see this story is the greatest example of miniaturization that ever took place that God who would have the universe as a knickknack came down and put himself in this tiny sliver this tiny dot this, this tiny. why because he loves us I don't know if there's other beings out there but we are sure a lot of trouble <laughs> but he loves us so David can say amazing things. God has two houses, summer home and winter home. He dwells in a high and holy place, but his favorite house is right there, the contrite and lowly of heart. That's his favorite place to live. That's why he'd pick Mary and not a princess. That's why he'd pick Bethlehem and not Jerusalem. That's why he'd pick fishermen and not scribes and Pharisees. That's why he'd pick us because it's his favorite list. Well, that's the story, the Christmas story. I hope that you've enjoyed it. It's certainly been a pleasure and, and thank you, sir, for inviting me. Um, there are DVDs available. 
out in the back. And with that, thank you so much. I appreciate it.